The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video. As seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Well, welcome back to The Video Insiders. I am here with my co-host, Dror Gill. Dror, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you today? You know, um, we got to come up with a new greeting. <laughs> <laughs> I realized when... when, when, when we we when, can ask, how compressed are you feeling how today? Compressed? How much compressed? So, how Dror, com- very how compressed, compressed are you feeling today? I'm feeling totally expanded. Expanded. Ah, expanded. Opposite. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh, this is a video show, not audio. So Yeah. It's, an, it's actually an audio show about video. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. If you want to be particular, we about have that. another amazing show here, and this one is about the Super Bowl of HDR. Super Bowl is great. You know, some people watch it because of the uh, commercials. Um, others watch it because of the uh, halftime uh, performance. And I heard that there are even a few that look at the game itself. That actually watched the game. Well, you yeah. know, <laughs> it was it was an amazing game. I guess it depends on uh, who you were who you were cheering for. But that's you yeah. know. Uh, but 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 on this show, you know, this isn't a sports show. So we're yeah. going to talk about the technology of HDR when um, people were able to compare the broadcast feed or the pay TV feed with the streaming feed. Uh, I think the the overwhelming feeling was that the streaming feed looked better. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were streaming in 4K HDR. We are talking to somebody who was very instrumental, and he's going to tell us more about that, in designing the HDR uh, portion of this incredible quality that we got to see. And so I am very pleased to welcome to the Video Insiders, Michael Drazen. Michael, welcome. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me. Why don't we start before we dive into uh, what you know, what you and the team built, and you know, uh, maybe some lessons learned, and what we might see, you know, in future productions uh, relative to HDR. Why don't you start by telling us, uh, you know, who you are, what you do, how you got to, you know, uh, where you are? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm uh, currently a consultant, and uh, my my past, I guess, my my. <laughs> Forays into HDR started when I was working with uh, CBS Sports, and one of our clients asked us to start producing golf in 4K HDR. So we took that as an opportunity to really uh, jump into the space and gain an understanding. And we spent a lot of time in the lab at CBS uh, figuring out how to do it and going through the different production workflows and really focusing on how do we produce this show that we want to produce uh, in HDR, while enabling production to tell the stories that they want to tell. At the end of the day, it's not about technology. It's about the stories that we're able to tell. And what we look at HDR uh, as is an enabler for telling stories. So the first thing that we look at doing is how do we better tell that story? And that's uh, that was with HDR. And so the client asked us to do it, and we jumped into it. And covered a lot of golf over uh, several years in 4k HDR mm. then as that you know transitioned from like those were really test events and technology demonstrations to starting uh, more and more to do that uh, across the board at different broadcasters from the start 
at CBS, you know, that, that parlayed into great collaborations with different international broadcasters who are all starting to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So we all uh, ensured that we kept in touch and, you know, we've had meetings with the Canadians and, you know, Dome hosted us up there. And then all the American broadcasters have all, you know, kept aligned with each other because at the end of the day, nobody really wanted to become an island and doing their own thing because we still have to interop with each other. And that doesn't matter if that's happening nationally or internationally as we come together on single events or we're trading content between each other or we're doing larger events. I don't take that much credit for what happened in Super Bowl in Miami because it's really the team on site. The All the pictures and everything that everybody saw at home and the presentation on screen, it, it really goes back to like it's a fantastic video team who made the pictures and the video that you saw. And that, you know, that starts with the team in the, the pregame trucks and then through the game truck to the team who was working on the halftime show and then back to the game and then the postgame. And then what they did was make great pictures for their producers and directors and the replay teams and everybody else to then craft the story that got home to all the viewers. Michael, I love your focus on, on you know, HDR serving a purpose of telling a story and really enhancing that. Um, you know, Dror and I and, and this whole podcast is definitely oriented towards technologists and, you know, we're, we're, uh, engineers and technologists ourselves. So, you know, of course, you know, we, we like to get geeky. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I think there's a understanding that is really starting to grow and it's a good thing, you know, among the engineering community is that, uh, you know, just engineering for engineering's sake is kind of not that meaningful, <laughs> not that valuable, and not that interesting. Yeah, I absolutely you know? agree and with so you. So I really, uh, really appreciate that comment that you made. I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're here to serve those people who create the content and to convey the content in the best way to their viewers. It has to relate in some way to the content and the, and, and the way, the artistic way that you want to convey that content. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think what's the most exciting thing about HDR is how empowering it is for our creatives. And I think what was really cool with the Super Bowl is we've all, we've done live events. We've done a lot of live events at this point. And the Super Bowl had obviously way more elements than anything else. But this was really the first times that we've gotten on air content that was captured in, in feature shoots and went to post and then from post to colorist and worked through the entire workflow that you actually would do on, you know, say, a high-level episodic or something else, but very focused on delivering for television. That was unique there, and it was really cool to see some of the features that made it on air that were actually colored in HDR, and then was able to see the HDR and the SDR side-by-side. Side. And you could really see where the creatives had more latitude and could do more with the HDR. And I think as it's really going to be a groundswell. As people see HDR, they're not going to want to go back. I know for me personally, and most of the people I work with doing these HDR shows now, once you, it's funny, once you go, you don't ever want to look at SDR again. You become accustomed to seeing and experiencing something closer to what the human visual system experiences in real life. And then it's really hard to go back the other direction. HDR doesn't do as much for blacks as it does for dynamic range. And what we've seen is like blacks is really the reproduction of the display. The technology of the display is what then represents that. And, uh, and you mentioned uh, the team on the ground. Uh, you gave them a lot of credit. But uh, obviously, the, 
the process of uh, enabling HDR uh, in the Super Bowl started uh, way before um, the broadcast began, I, I assume uh, weeks and months before that. So uh, it would be interesting to hear um, how you started the, the, the design process. So the Super Bowl leveraged off of what we did all season for their Thursday night football broadcast. And so it was just a mm-hmm. clean transition between the Thursday night show into the Sunday shows, into playoffs, into NFC championship, into the Super Bowl. And that all then built on, you know, several years of we took what we normally do for a production and broke all the different elements down from cameras, replay devices, graphics, virtual graphics, um, edit at home, graphics at home. You, you pick the element that productions accustomed to having on the production and we took all of those and started on a big whiteboard and started designing how that all fits to he- together into a cohesive plan you know whether it was uh the att 100 that started the show which had a ton of vr to the fox vr all of that existed uh and all the ar that they did all that existed in the hdr space and there wasn't a single time we had to go to production and say, oh, you want you can't do this because we're in HDR. The CBS golf work that you did, um, was the original distribution on like direct TV or or was you know, was that also streamed or what was the actual distribution? You're correct. The original distribution at the beginning was uh on direct TV. Uh the streaming part of this has really happened, I guess, in the last twelve to twenty-four months of the HDR going both to linear distribution as well as OTT. I'm just assuming that there were certain constraints um, that, you know, that, that you had, or, you know, that, that were in place around maybe even how you design the workflow, you know, affected your decision as to how the system was designed um, that, um, you know, sure. If you didn't have to deal with that, you could have done something different. Is there anything that comes to mind? That I'm very uh, conscientious as to say, uh, HDR, but not necessarily 4K. And I think that one of the things that's really important to understand, and as you pointed out, the episodic film world works very differently than the television world in a couple aspects. One, you know, shooting single camera or a few cameras, and they're, you know, they're shooting log formats and have a completely different workflow. In our live production environments, uh, 4K right now isn't feasible for the level shows that we're doing and that really comes down to uh, we'll we'll start on uh, bandwidth and capabilities of the hardware that we have so it like as a general measure if any piece of hardware has you know call it 100 percent of its capabilities in 3 gig or 1080p when we go to use it in 4k we generally get 25 percent of those capabilities and in the last five or six years, we haven't seen any quantum leaps in uh, that technology getting to, like, say, the production switcher. You know, we'll call it 100 inputs because the math is easier. It turns into a 25 input switcher. And so when you have 100 cameras, and then those 100 cameras are going to equal another 100 replay sources, mm. and then you call it, you have 30 graphics devices. Every graphics device is really two sources because there's the key and the fill. I mean, our source counts for these major productions and and even the medium-sized productions, and we're starting some of those uh, next week in Chicago doing uh, HDR, 
the source count gets up there and we can't do this in 4k so we we can't actually deliver the same experience to the customers from a production standpoint with number of cameras number of you know assets deployed replays all of that we just that doesn't exist yet someday it's going to the limitation of using 1080p is this because of the switcher or the graphics unit uh, where is the main limitation that prevents you from doing 4k live yeah so 1080p we're we're not limited from doing 4k live it's production switcher it's the router it's the replay devices um, we're moving from three gigs to 12 gigs a lot of the infrastructure that is built supports three gigs there's nowhere near that amount of infrastructure for 12 gigs and none of the devices support it so take a replay device that's a 12 channel device when you're running it in 4k you're getting a four channel device i want to say that there was 26 replay devices at the super bowl for the main show and those are all mostly full of sources it's literally unfeasible to do all that in 4k and that's so that's just from a straight resolution at 12 gigs so that's 4k at 60 which is i think another important thing uh for us to talk about so, so how did they do it at the world cup wasn't that 4k hdr live the cameras were acquiring in 4k the replay environments were not so they will they will ah, up see. and down convert to get in and out of the replay environments so this this uh, uh, f- fake 4K which you which you mentioned is actually um, been in the industry for uh, for a while. This is something that happens in any major event that has a lot of sources, even if they're 4K cameras. Uh, at some point, they have to be down converted to 1080p, and then when you have the full um, uh, signal, you up convert it back to 4K. Sometimes uh, a lot of productions choose not to even do the 4K acquisition. What we've seen in studies in various labs is the consumer televisions do an excellent job of upconverting 1080p to 4K, which is native for most of the displays. Right. So if you're within a picture length of that display, you can generally, you may be able to see the difference between the native 4K and the 1080p. As soon as you get more than a picture length away from the television, it becomes extremely hard to see the difference. So the ratio between the complications and the struggles that you have to deploy this on a medium to large event versus the payoff you get uh, to the consumer just isn't there to justify it. I, I completely agree. So let me ask you a question. In the Super Bowl, why did they upscale? Why wouldn't they just deliver the 1080p and let the television upscale? I think that's a great question if you can find some of the distribution partners. Ah, marketing. That's what I thought. You didn't hear it from Michael, uh, Mark. You didn't hear it from Michael. That's all right. I answered answered for him. (laughs) We we deliver what is requested. As a broadcaster, we deliver what our client requests us to deliver. Yeah, of course. It's called marketing. And I think that, yeah, (laughs) and I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And all the marketing has been about 4K, and 4K is better. And we don't see much marketing about HDR and HDR being really what's 
amazing about it. Exactly. And and this is a huge, I, I know this is so frustrating for all of us who are in the industry. And, you know, of course, we're on the video encoding side. And so um, we're well aware of those studies that, you know, you're citing about 1080p HDR. I mean, it's been demonstrated. It's just empirical. Like it doesn't even require golden eyes to see that 1080p HDR at lower bandwidth, upscaled on these new TVs. And by the way, even just a low end 4K TV, you know, so we're not even talking like, you know, kind of mid to high end, like on pretty much literally any 4K TV looks awesome. But there's one problem. It it can't be sold or billed or, you know, uh, presented as 4K. It's 1080p. And the consumer bought 4K, you know, they bought a 4K TV. So I want 4K. And it's, oh, it's so frustrating. I, I think the other thing we should talk about too, and the thing that's getting a lot of study now as well, is the marriage between resolution and frame rate. Yes. Let's talk about that. And the, yeah. And the big differences between uh, episodic and you know shooting in 4k as well as you know shooting because i i definitely think there's this place to shoot in 4 and 8k and that does give good creative decisions and when you're shooting in a scenario that the camera is moving with the subject you have different sets of motion that gets captured and especially when both of those devices are moving at the same time and what we see covering live sports content is generally those are fixed camera positions with people running in front of them. So I remember the first time we got 4K cameras and then started playing with 4K high-speed cameras. And we were looking at, you know, what an extraction looks like and how we could, you know, capture different things, say extract a 1080p from the 4K. And that when we're running the 4K camera at 60 and you slow it down and you look at the motion, and then you take that same 4K camera and you run it at 120 or 240 or 480. And then you start to see really that really helps show what the different motion artifacting is when the camera is fixed and somebody's moving in front of it. And I can't tell you what the right answer is. And I think this needs more study. But for live sports production, it does feel like you as the resolution increases you also need to increase the frame rate yeah and then and then the bitrate you need increases uh... yeah and we just talked about the feasibility of doing 4k 60 which is 12 gigs a second so if we're doing 4k at 120 that just became 24 gigs a second that's a massive amount of data that we're creating every second i i, I agree so if we talk about 8k resolution and 20 frames per second is almost mandatory yeah i will there was a demonstration of 8k and 8k running at 60 on a 85 inch display uh, i found almost unwatchable because of the judder and the motion artifacting mm -hmm. with the people okay. moving around i can't tell you if 8k at 120 gets better at 8k at 240 because uh, i haven't seen it but i think the 8K topic is an interesting one. Um, and I think some of the 8K topic gets really into physics as well, because we're seeing our lens manufacturers, our Canon, our Fujinon, really struggle to build any large lenses in 8K. And there's some really smart people at both of those companies. They're telling us that, you know, the physics is what's really limiting to build a lens that large. And that also then goes back to, how we cover and consume our content, especially here in a you know it, the American market, 
we don't spend a lot of time wide shot to wide shot. Like we, we go in, we focus on the faces. The faces are what tell the stories of our athletes. That's a really interesting point that, that you're making. And so then the resolution, what does that, it doesn't add as much, right? When you're so tight on the subject. It just, it isn't feasible to get an 8K camera that close for the lensing that we have. So for example, uh, Super Bowl 50, which I oversaw for CBS, we had one of the first uh, 4K 480 cameras from Sony. And with our lens constraints at that time, we mounted that camera on the reverse cart, which is literally as close to the ball as we can get. Like, not in one of the end zones shooting down the field. It was literally on a cart that traveled up and down on the sideline with the line of scrimmage. I will tell you, we got some fantastic content out of that. Running that camera 4K, 480, being able to zoom into a focal point um, and do an extraction. Uh, our, the teams at CBS did an amazing job of that. Uh, but we had to be that close to the field with that camera to capture that. I, I wanted to have you share with us um, what the uh, you know what the distribution was. So you have you have the camera on the field, you have all the graphics systems, you have the switchers, you have all the on-site you know the the production right, and then and then there's a a distribution feed um, that's going out to the to the cable networks you know to the pay TV networks, pay TV platforms, and then being streamed. Can you? Explain, uh, you know, what that architecture looked like, um, you know, what, how those flows worked. Can you give us some more visibility as to what happened then with that signal once it came out of the... Absolutely. I'll walk you through, you know, yeah, final production the, the, truck. The general overall workflow from that standpoint is uh, all the cameras and the production runs in HLG BT2100. So we're standardized. That means we can intermix different camera manufacturers. Everybody can kind of play in the same playing field there. Um, and then that goes back generally to somebody's master control and where that feed would get integrated with the commercials. And depending on the broadcaster, they'll make their own decisions on how they do this. One way to do it is to take the 1080p HDR game footage take the SDR commercial content, convert the SDR commercial content to HDR, uh, and stay in uh, 1080p HLG, and then you'll have a finished uh, product as 1080p HLG. From there, there are some distribution partners that want HLG, and there are other distribution partners that want HDR10. And then there's some there's known and documented math for how to convert from uh, HLG to HDR10 for distribution. And I think, you know, that's kind of the end to end. I think you had a, a great line about uh, glass to glass. And I think that uh, I want to credit Greg Copa at CBS. And he, he's had a saying for years, uh, you know, camera to consumer. And it's really one of the the unique things that we can do in a full HLG production is what we acquire at the camera can traverse the entire environment, and that's what we can deliver to the consumer. And we don't have to do any extra processing or any conversion. Um, right now, though, on the distribution side, we're seeing a lot more support 
4.4, HDR10, PQ, um, those standards. And uh, I think that's a lot has to do with most of the HDR content today has really come from the film and episodic world. And they make, they, they make different decisions for their production and their environment, right? Than what a broadcaster does. What about Dolby Vision Live? I mean, do, do you see any of it in, in, uh, in, in production today? Or this is something that is more future? Or do you think it's not going to happen at all? So I, to date, we have not ever done a production that has run in PQ. And I don't like, there's only, I think one of the camera manufacturers supports PQ natively out of the camera. And then how you're going to run the rest of the environment. HLG is supported almost across the entire board. I, don't, I actually don't know anybody who doesn't support HLG from all of the different elements that we bring into a production. And then uh, I would be remiss not to mention the note uh, of LUTs and the conversion from SDR to HDR and HDR to SDR and HDR to HDR. And the team at The BBC R&D labs have done like amazing work on where we are today for being able to do those conversions as well as we are. And they have collaborated with everybody around the world on uh, the LUTs and the workflow and how this whole thing, how the entire production comes together. And it's most of us are using their technology and their LUTs implemented in our productions that help make them as successful mm-hmm. as they are. I see. So basically, HDR Live is uh, 100% HLG. Uh, yeah, I don't know of a production that has been done. Well, a live sports production with all its elements. There have been some live entertainment productions that have been done in S-Log 3. We tried to do a live sports production on S-Log 3 and found out all the issues we had in trying to do that. It has nothing against S-Log 3, and I think S-Log 3 is amazing for what it does. And Like we had a camera, we had a Sony Venice on the sideline of the Fox shows running in S-Log 3 at 23.98 because that is a look from a creative standpoint that they were looking for. And with the LUT from the BBC, we create, we tone mapped that S-Log 3 to HLG and included it in the show and empowered the lead video on the show to actually paint that camera and make it look like the way they wanted to make it look artistically. So we were able to do all that. Um, it just, we can't run all of the cameras in S-Log 3 because of all the other things that have to get integrated together to build a cohesive production. So what color conversion and, you know, correction process did you use? Uh, I guess what I meant, you know, is was it uh, all sort of automatic or did you have colorists, you know, manually doing the work? So in every live television production, there are, uh, there's a department here in America known as the video department. And those are the gentlemen who are responsible for shading the cameras. So controlling what they look like from an IR standpoint, from a color standpoint. So we have empowered them to work in HDR. And then what they do is they see a predictive down convert of the SDR. So they know what both environments are going to see. They have the tools and the latitude and they, they're the guys who keep all those cameras looking the same. So as you go camera to camera, the grass looks the same on every color. People's skin tones look wow. the same in other, every color. Yeah. So all this process has really done is enabled them to be more creative in HDR and give them more latitude, especially dynamically. 
each one of those gentlemen who work in that environment, they have their own look. This is what they do from an artistic standpoint. The same way a colorist works in an episodic or a feature film. The team we just worked with at the Super Bowl were phenomenal. Like I was, I was looking at some of the footage that was back from there yesterday and literally blown away by how good everything looked. Amazing, uh, Michael. Really, I, I'd like to congratulate you again. And of course, this amazing team that you uh, keep on mentioning because it's uh, obviously a, a teamwork and, and a large team uh, because together you created what I believe is the most successful large-scale uh, live streaming event of this caliber, uh, the quality, the resolution. Um, it's, it's really amazing and, and uh, you did a great job. And I'm sure that while you were doing this, uh, you learned a lot. And there's a lot of um, insights that, uh, uh, that come up and, um, uh, during such an event, such a very large production, lessons learned. Um, so uh, do you have any that uh, in particular uh, stick out and you can share with our listeners? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing as you approach any HDR production is very similar to how you, per, you really produce, approach any production. You have to plan. But in the HDR production, you got to stop and think through the entire production, all the sources, all the destinations, all the tone mapping, inverse tone mapping, and make sure that you have all those resources. And you really need to have a plan before you get on site to try to execute it so that you have a good starting point. And when you pre-plan everything and have a very specific uh, methodology to go and apply to what you're doing, you can be successful on these events at, you know, scale. Do you think we're going to see this, uh, you know, 4K HDR at this level and this quality? Is this now the new norm, you know, for the Olympics, the World Cup, you know, all the other big, um, you know, marquee events? I mean, is this... Now, what we can expect, you know, even as consumers? So I think that's a tough one to answer. I think that as consumers, I'd like to say yes, but knowing what the business is behind it, it's complicated because the biggest struggle for the broadcast networks is they hold all the premier sporting events, right? And the affiliates are how it gets to the consumer. Right now, if we create the content in HDR, the affiliates can't actually... Uh, transmit that to our audience. So they need to either move to OTT or move to ATSC3 and make this next transition before the audience can get it. So I think where I want to say yes, I, I, I think that doing everything in HDR is the way to do it. There's also you know business reasons behind not doing it. And that unfortunately all comes down to cost. You know, when it's my budget and can my consumer actually receive it? And can I deliver a better product to my consumer has to be part of that equation. I think that, you know, we're starting to see more HDR production starting to happen on the regional level, especially regional sports. Um, they don't have the affiliates that they have to work through and you can start to do local sports and deliver it into that market in HDR and those consumers are going to appreciate it right away. I think you'll also see that on the, the national sports cable channels. Uh, as for the networks, I think the, like every major business that undergoes a transition, we're seeing all the networks uh, launch their own OTT platforms. And I think that 
it's the challenge and what we're going to see, you know, in the next several months is how each one of those uh, evolves the legacy business into the new business and, and continues to deliver the product that the consumer wants to see. And I think the more consumers that see HDR, uh, the more they're going to want it and come to expect it for sure. You know, we were talking about 8K a few minutes ago, and of course, the Olympics are, you know, coming up this summer, Summer Olympics, and it's already been widely publicized that um, 8K is is going to be, um, at least in some parts of the world, you'll be able to watch the Olympics in 8K. Do you... Um, you know, do you think that in the U.S. we're going to be able to see the Olympics in 8K, or is that going to be regional like in Japan? Uh, you know, yeah, I think from an 8K standpoint, uh, I'm not sure how much, if any, 8K will be available in the U.S. I can say that from an HDR standpoint, um, there's going to be Olympics in HDR in the U.S. I believe OBS has committed publicly that they're going to produce the games in 4K HDR. So. They have a task unlike any that has been mounted to date of trying to, I think they're somewhere in the 60s of productions and thousand something cameras across all the venues. I mean, this, this is a monumental task for that team. I think it's fantastic for the entire world to see, you know, the emotion and everything that happens at the Olympics in HDR, you know, Tokyo 2020, everything uh, is going to originate in 4K HDR. So I have a feeling, uh, Michael, that we're going to talk again. And for now, I would like to thank you for uh, your amazing insights into uh, producing the Super Bowl in HDR. So thank you very much for coming on the Video Insiders. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, thank you. Uh, and definitely thanks to the entire Fox team for all the hard work they put into bringing that to all the viewers. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H.264 transcoding every month.